Welcome to Passing the Plate, the podcast that's all about food, traditions, and the incredible connections they create. I'm Ashley Covelli, the food writer and recipe developer behind Big Flavors from a Tiny Kitchen. And I'm Lisa Listen, the genealogist and family history expert behind Are You My Cousin? We are your guides on this flavor-packed adventure. We're not just talking about recipes. We're diving into family history, exploring new cultures, and preserving favorite recipes for future generations. In short, we're celebrating the stories and tastes that come with every bite. So grab a seat at the table and let's head out on a journey of flavor, tradition, and connection. This is Passing the Plate, where every episode is a feast for the senses and a celebration of togetherness. In today's episode, we're digging a little deeper into our discussion on modifying recipes from episode three. Well, you know, Ashley, I was a picky eater growing up, and sometimes I didn't even, currently, I don't even want to make certain family recipes because... Well, I don't really like some of the ingredients in them. So, for instance, I don't necessarily want like to use a lot of mayo when I cook. Mm. And so there are definitely some really good recipes that I know my grandmother made that have mayo in it. But I'm just not really – I just don't use a lot of mayo when I cook. So I have, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to maybe modify recipes using – more ingredients that are more in in line with, say, how I eat these days or how my family eats. Right. Well, as a also recovering picky eater, I totally understand that. I People who meet me now don't really believe that I was a very picky eater growing up, but I was. Um, And that must be hard, Lisa. You grew up in the South and I feel like mayo is kind of like one of the staples, no? (laughs) Well, yeah, we have. So we would use certainly mayo, but uh, Actually, I just remember a lot of Miracle Whip because that mm. came along somewhere in there. And I guess it's not so much that I don't like it as much as I just, it is not something I really like to put in my current healthy diet, shall gotcha. we say. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something I like to use. You know, my kids weren't really crazy about the taste of it just straight. So, you know, like on a sandwich or something. So I just didn't use it a whole lot. It's not the kind of thing I really keep around. So sometimes gotcha. that's kind of a hindrance for me when I want to make something else or one of those recipes that I remember, but then I'll right. try something else and I'm like, oh, that just didn't quite do Not it Not quite me. the same. Yeah. So that's interesting that you said that about mayo, um, Miracle Whip, because deviled eggs is a good example here of a recipe that I've kind of played with over the years because my grandma, when she made it, she used Miracle Whip and everybody loved them. Like that was just the way that she made hers and they were delicious. And I tried... Um, once I got married, I tried making them using mayo instead of Miracle Whip and like something just wasn't quite the same. Um, and then, you know, kind of tested it and figured out it had to do with like Miracle Whip is a little bit sweet and there's like a couple things that make it a little different. So I have, I have a version of that recipe that's her version kind of with Miracle Whip. And then I have one that's mayo and some adjusted kind of ingredients. But then I ended up experimenting with Greek yogurt. So plain Greek yogurt, and then um, in my recipe I add, to get that like Miracle Whip kind of flavor, a little bit of garlic powder, and then there's a little sugar, and it just, you need just like a couple things, because Miracle Whip has like a very unique flavor, Um, whether you like it or you dislike it, there's just like something a little different that's not quite mayo and not quite Greek yogurt, but so um, interestingly enough, after I posted that on my website, I think um, a lot of people hate, like with a passion, hate mayo. So people were looking for 
a mayo-free deviled egg recipe. And so I was more than happy to share. And it just, I kind of love that now a version of my grandma's recipe is being eaten and enjoyed at so many other families' homes and at their holidays. Um, Because when we, with deviled eggs especially, she would make like three trays and she'd have to hide one because my cousins would like take the, they would take out an entire tray by themselves. So um, it's just kind of a fun way to connect, like like you were saying, like your modern eating habits with something from the past that has like a root in your family. So yeah, I think you, experimenting a little bit with alternatives, especially now we have a lot more options. I feel like I don't think Greek yogurt was common back in my grandma's day. <laughs> like no. I'm sure it existed <laughs> in some form, but like, or like a strained yogurt, um, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I definitely, Greek yogurt is a great idea. I'm actually going to try your Greek yogurt deviled egg recipe. Cause I'm like, I think that would be like fantastic. Yeah. And um, I think and, the, the, sorry, just one thing, if you do oh, make sure. that, just, um, you, you still have to taste it. Like I put amounts there as a starting guide, but I feel like it's like with the, sometimes you just need a little more salt or a little more mustard or a little more vinegar or a little more sugar. Just kind of depends, you know, egg yolks aren't always exactly consistent on their size. So be sure to taste it. Um, and you might prefer things a little tangier, a little sweeter. Um, so yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Cause you know, deviled eggs are kind of a staple when it comes to like family gatherings and yeah. taking this plate. Cause they're easy. They're, I mean, they're easy to make, they're easy to transport and mm-hmm. everybody loves them. And I transport mine in my grandma's old Tupperware. I'm sure it's full of VP, BPAs and who knows what else, but it's this little like brownish gray tray and it's got a lid that closes on top of it. So it's great because you can make them seal them up and put them in the fridge and nothing crushes the top of them. Um, cause I have a I bunch it. of those trays that are shaped like an egg with the little egg shaped divots, but then you have to, how do you cover it without squishing right, them? You know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now I actually have, um, a deviled egg platter. That was my grandmother's. With the oh, little nice. ditches. No, it doesn't. Again, yeah. Y- you don't have anything to keep it from squishing. I mean, it's like a depression glass type thing. And oh. my, one of my kids is like, what kind of dish is that? And so I was like, oh, you know, this is the deviled egg dish. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a picture of it? I don't have, I can get one. Can you it's take one? Sit, Let's, yeah, we'll we'll put downstairs. pictures of our deviled egg trays in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I love, I love deviled eggs. So when we were um, chatting earlier, Ashley, I know we've talked about being picky eaters before and the one of the funny stories that that we were talking about was the butter bean story in my family which is kind of <laughs> kind of infamous famous infamous I don't know which way you want to say it but you know I really I do not like butter beans or some people call them lima beans I think there's a difference but it doesn't matter I don't like them <laughs> that's <laughs> no. too funny I I truly I've never liked them as a child but here's the thing my grandfather always had a garden and he had enough garden to to feed the entire county, we think. And so every summer we would go and my mother would help to, you know, to my grandmother and they would freeze and can and all this stuff. And there were always a lot of butter bean. So, I mean, this is, you know, rural, kind of rural North Carolina. And so the soil, the weather, it's perfect for growing butter beans, unfortunately. And (laughs) so I couldn't stand, but here I... Did not. I made a deal. I did not have to eat the butter beans as long as I helped shell the butter beans. 
<laughs> and I just want you to know, I, I have shelled a lot of butter beans in my day. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you have Still siblings? I did. Yeah. I have did a, they like I have them? A, yeah. Yeah. They liked them. I actually didn't like any of the beans orig- you know, early on. Now I do eat beans now, but butter beans, nope, still not there. And I, I think, I think it was taste, but I also think that it had to do with texture because when you would bite the butter bean, it would get, it was squishy in the middle or it would squirt and oh still <laughs> heebie-jeebies just think about it and and so I think that that's um I think that's part of it is is so much that it was the taste but it was also very much the texture of it and when I think about it now even as an adult because I do eat beans I don't like to eat like butter beans or like the what are they, the the cannellini beans those uh, white, or the great white, white beans thing mm-hmm to me, they're all kind of the same thing when it comes to, they're like too much like a butter bean. And so I think that might be part of it. But anyway, it's so that's still the story chickpeas? of the days that I want. I had chickpeas, those, yeah. Because those I feel like are, the texture is very different than a lot of other beans. Oh, I like chickpeas. I eat a lot of black beans. I like black beans. That's um, interesting because black beans, I feel like the texture is kind of similar to a, a, a white bean, no? Like a cannellini bean. Well, if you bite into it, it doesn't squish. I mean, okay. it doesn't squirt out. <laughs> that makes sense. It's not we like need a butter a, bean. It almost like a little hole on it still, you know, even though you shell the butter bean. Chart. <laughs> we need a chart with a diagram of like squish factor to um, ick factor. For <laughs> that's you. right. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's really, it's it's quite, yeah, quite funny. But yeah, I'm still kind of on that. Are there other textural uh, issues you find with food? Like, are there other foods that the texture kind of bothers you? Um, I have to say probably with barbecue. Um, so growing up in the South in, in my area, it's usually chopped barbecue. That was for a long time. That's all. That's really what you got. They, did, I mean, they had sliced barbecue. Don't get me wrong. But the predominant thing, if you, if you talk, if you were talking about barbecue, you were talking about chopped barbecue and in North Carolina, they, I mean, it was whole hog barbecue. Mm-hmm. And so it was just all chopped. So there was definitely a texture thing there. I remember the first time I had, um, a sliced barbecue. Mm-hmm. I, I was old. I was probably in my teens, maybe when I actually chose to do that. And I was like, Oh, I like this better. And it was, it was still the same barbecue. It was still really right. prepared the same way, but it was a different, just because it was sliced out. I just liked it better. Um, and I, I really think it's really less about the taste at that mm-hmm. point, And it was more of a textural thing. Yeah. Um, I think, I think texture is a big um, thing that can cause a lot of people to have an aversion to a certain ingredient. Like my son, he, yes, he will eat French fries. Yes, he will eat a crispy hash brown. But he has a texture thing with potatoes. Like, does not want a mashed potato, not a roasted potato. Um, and, like, I had a mashed potato bar at my wedding. Like, I love potatoes. We have, so we had, um, it wasn't my idea. The venue had it as part of, like, an option. And so we had, like, regular mashed potatoes, sweet potato mash, and garlic mashed. And then they had all these different toppings like bacon and cheddar cheese and frizzled onions and chives and all that stuff. And they had like uh, parfait glasses. So you had like an ice cream sundae, but mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So like I'm pr- I'm like 99.9% sure my son is my son, but he does not like mashed potatoes. <laughs> and I hope he comes around one day. But there's something like he's described it as like kind of like you were saying with the squish. It's just the texture he doesn't like. So it's similar with um, th- there's a few ingredients that kind of bake up to that similar texture. So I feel like 
trying ingredients in multiple ways is a big way to try to get past that whole textural thing. Like you were saying, you don't mind certain beans in certain ways. So maybe it's like pureeing something. So like if you're making a soup that has pieces of potatoes in it, my son, like we're, I'm making beef stew tonight, my grandpa's beef stew. Um, my son will eat around the potatoes because I'm not going to puree them. But if it was um, like a potato soup or something that you could add the other veggies in later, you could cook the potatoes in there and then like with an immersion blender or a blender, blend it up so it just kind of makes it creamy without adding cream. So you're not having the texture of the potatoes, but you're having the like nutrients and the flavor of it, and then you can put the other ingredients in. I mean, it depends on your cooking method there. But same with beans. You can you could puree beans, and that'll give something like a, a nicer texture. Um, I know some people try to, like, hide ingredients, so they'll, like, you know, s- cook some broccoli, puree it, and pour it into something to, like, hide it. Um, I'm not, you know, to each their own if you want to hide ingredients. I'd rather personally see if there's, like, is there a way we could get you to like this, like, what if we cook it till it's nice and crispy? Then will you like it? Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, as far as like getting over being a picky eater for myself, when I moved to New York from, so I was in Indiana and then Wisconsin and then back in Indiana for a little bit. So New York has a lot of things that I didn't have access to. Um, so like the seafood for one, like I didn't eat seafood at all. So I, I started, I kind of had like this mission for myself, like, let me try things that I didn't think I liked. Let me try them like five different ways. And if I still don't like them, then I still don't like them. So I didn't used to like blue cheese, seafood. And then I would try things in different ways. And eventually, usually there was a way I could find to like it. And once I got used to it that way, the other preparations were a little easier to palate kind of. Um, So like, yeah, you'd be more familiar with with them and working with them too, I would think. So yeah. Right. Yeah. So like fennel was one for me. Like I hated the flavor of licorice. Fennel was like a no-go for me. And my husband, um, he's Italian and his family, they would like slice it up and just eat it raw after a meal, like kind of help digestion. Yeah. If, if you guys could see the face Lisa's making right now. <laughs> um, but I tried a recipe once where you roast the fennel and it takes on this like sweetness. So it kind of counter counteracts the bitterness so I ate it like that several times and then I kind of got used to the fennel flavor and now I can eat a shaved raw fennel salad doesn't bother me so it's just like I feel like sometimes you got to kind of retrain your your taste buds um and just be open to options I I like that and I like what you were saying you know you know with your husband's Italian family you know this was a very this was just part of their Italian Mm -hmm. roots and how and, and what they were eating and for somebody from the Midwest who'd never, yeah. you know, I can see where that would be like, whoa, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, they also so, like yeah. a lot of bitter things. And I was very anti-bitter for quite a while, um, like bitter greens. Um, broccoli rob was one that the first time I tried it, I was like, how, how, just how, <laughs> how do people eat this? And eventually I came around to it. And now I make it in a way that his like Italian cousin, who is a, an incredible cook, she like requests that I make it the way that I make it for um, like we had it for Thanksgiving this past year. And uh, I just tried to make it based on this Italian restaurant across the street. It's a lot of garlic. It's a lot of garlic, but it's so good. Um, and yeah, I think those bitter greens, something about the bitterness is good for digestion. Mm. I don't know. but um, I, I don't know much about that. I don't know that I've ever had bitter greens before. So um, yeah. Broccoli rob, but. Well, that's, that's bitter. Um, what about I'm like, um, I mean, a, 
is arugula considered a bitter green? Oh, I guess it is. I do like yeah. arugula. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. You're right. I, you're right. I have. I just hadn't thought about it in those terms per se. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you got to just like tiptoe, kind of ease your way into to enjoying things sometimes. And if you still don't, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I just feel like giving something a fair shot, especially as an adult, like, you know, give it a fair shot. Try it a few different ways. Um, and But then if we're talking about kids, because... As the mom of a middle schooler now, he's, uh, you know, he's he's very adventurous in some ways. Like, he'll eat paella, he'll eat octopus, but he won't eat a potato. Um, but some things I think you can do to help are you could offer options, but not cook a totally separate meal for them. So, like, sometimes when I'm roasting uh roasting something, I'll have a bunch of different veggies in with the meat. And, like, you know, you need to have at least... Pick at least two of them, you know. So he has an option. He doesn't have to eat the onions and the peppers and the tomatoes and whatever, but he needs to try at least two. Um, or like taco night, I'll cut up the toppings for the tacos and put it on a cutting board and just bring the cutting board out to the table and everybody can add their own. So he's got some sort of say on what he's putting on there um, without the pressure of like, you must eat this all. Um, That's a really good idea. It's almost like a charcuterie taco bar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like Totally. And we uh, same with like if there's toppings that you put on soup like chili or um, I made like a tortilla soup kind of thing the other day. Um, so that kind of stuff is good. And I think also shopping together, especially with kids. I feel like if you bring them with you, they're part of the experience. They have a say in what you're buying. Like let's say we're we're going to the store. We're going to pick out we need three different veggies to have with dinner this week. Can you help pick them or can you go pick something green or can you go pick something orange? And then like they are like a little bit invested in what's being chosen. So um, kids get told what to do a lot and I, it's got to be frustrating, you know, to be constantly told like you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to eat this. So I think just giving them a little bit of control while you're, I mean, you're still in control of it, but giving them a little bit more of a say, I think, um, can often help them feel a little more uh, experimental and excited about trying new things. I love that about taking them to the store with you because there's just so much to learn there. Not only just food, but yeah, I love that pick something orange. <laughs> yeah, we're teaching colors. We're teaching just all kinds Absolutely. of things you can do there. So, and right, if you I do, oh sorry, if you do have a farmers market near you, um, Having them talk to the people that actually produce or sell the thing, they can get you can get more interesting information about the ingredients too. So I'm all for taking them to the supermarket also, but there's something really interesting about talking to the people who actually grow the food if you're able to. I agree with that. I agree with that. Have you ever asked Grandma for one of her secret family recipes? We've all been there. You try to bake her signature dessert and it's a total flop. She swears she told you exactly what she does. A pinch of this and a dash of that and bake till done. But what does that really mean? With the Passing the Plate video webinar and ebook bundle, we'll help you record recipes in a way that's easy to repeat at home. Learn to modernize favorite family recipes in a way that works for your lifestyle. And most importantly, preserve and share your culinary memories, recipes, and traditions with others. To learn more, head to passingtheplate.org slash resources. All right, I'm going to circle back to beans for just a minute. We're going to talk about chili because it's very cold today as we are sitting here recording this. It's been very cold. And, um, well, beans and chili can be extremely divisive. Um, it can actually show, it actually can reveal some of your roots, maybe your cultural roots as to where, where an area you live in or perhaps how your family did things because 
when it comes to chili, there's beans, there's no beans, there's the different spices that, and everybody seems to have their own version of it. So I just think it's an interesting Always. concept when it comes oh, yes. to picky eaters or not even picky eaters, but looking at kind of taste, tasting it in such <laughs> varieties for different cultures, different areas mm. of the country. I just think it's an, it's an interesting food out there. I think this is one where the opinionated eaters come out also. Uh, you know, Ooh, Yes, yes. Because um, I'm very big on don't yuck someone else's yum. But um, Lisa, how do you like your chili? Well, I would originally, you know, if you'd asked me when I was uh, in my teens as a kid or as a teen, I would have said absolutely no beans whatsoever. Now, I'm good with beans in my chili. Um, I, I actually kind of like to have some in there, but I don't want it to be loaded with beans. Gotcha. So just kind of a small amount with it. Um, I'm good with that. Um, so my favorite chili, I mean, I'll eat it either way. Um, if I'm making the chili, though, I like to do um, a turkey instead of beef, which also I'm sure people have opinions on. But just for my family, dietary preferences, that's something that's um, it makes a difference for us. So uh, I do ground turkey and three different types of beans. My husband is very much like the three, because it was three cans of beans in the type that my mom made growing up. Um, and it could be one or two or three different types, but just three cans. That was the amount. But he likes having three different types. And it doesn't necessarily matter which types. Um, I don't think chickpeas, though, because that texture, I think, is a little different. I don't know that I would want that in my chili, um, at least not in this one. But so we do beans. And then the other kind of optional thing to make it to people's preferences is the level of spice in the chili. So some people like it real spicy, some people don't. And what I do with my recipe is I cook it up to a certain point, the point where I would start adding the real spicy stuff. And I divide it in half because I have a kid. And like sometimes we'll have somebody, you know, eating with us who doesn't like spicy. So we'll take half of it out. I'll put it into, I'll have now two pots and then I'll go ahead and add the, you know, the cayenne anything, excuse me, anything extra spicy into the one batch and keep them separate. Um, that way you can have it either way you want it. And then we like, a, a, we didn't used to top it with much, I don't think, maybe cheese when I was a kid, but now I kind of like doing like some cheddar, some cilantro, a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we like, if we're going to do it, we like it really spicy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and a little cocoa powder. A little cocoa powder in there is good too. Ah, you know, you're right. We, I've seen it, but we, ha I don't know that we've actually done that yet. With the oh, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's not. It doesn't taste like chocolate, but it's good. Right. Um. So I actually, I when when Lisa and I were discussing chili a while back, I said, let me let me uh, poll my social followers because I feel like this is a very opinionated thing. Um. So I posted on Instagram. I asked, "Do you enjoy beans in your chili?" Eighty-four percent picked of course 13% said I'm fine with either and 3% said no way but then when we got to the Facebook thread <laughs> I asked on Facebook and this is where you know it was like an open-ended thing so people could really share their opinions I have a couple um, a couple ones that I thought would be fun to share so Mike said my philosophy is it's your chili so it's your rules beans or no beans it's up to you we both love beans and chili. Frankly, those purists out there are mistaken because real chili doesn't even have meat in it. It originated as a sauce, basically. So I thought that was interesting. Interesting. 
Um, Mary-Kate said, chili without beans is weird to me. They're a staple. Uh, Marsha said, chili is beans. If you want meat in it, it's called chili con carne. I didn't fact check that, but I think maybe that's what Mike was alluding to about it's originated as a sauce. Interesting. We might have to do a whole episode on chili. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Rita said, chili, the soup for me must have beans and it may or may not have tomatoes. Um, chili con carne is a topper for chili dogs and has no beans or tomatoes. And that's, that's I think, why I don't prefer chili without the beans in it is because it reminds me of a chili dog. And I don't love a chili dog. I like hot dogs. I like chili. But there's something – it just makes it soggy. And there, I guess that's a texture thing. <laughs> it reminds me of, of when I was in school and they would have chili con carne on the – as part of, I guess, a hot dog topper or something. And, and I didn't care for it. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that was kind of why I don't like it like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Matt said, there shouldn't be rules when it comes to food, except for pineapple on pizza. And we had a little back and forth after that because I agreed. I don't think there should be rules. I think you should just do whatever whatever you enjoy. But I do. And my Italian family does also enjoy occasionally. Pineapple on pizza. You can come for me, but it's, I'm you know. I'm team p- pineapple on pizza as well. We don't, we don't <laughs> eat it all the time. And we also, shockingly, eat both, like, New York pizzeria-style pizza and Domino's. It's fine. You know, they're different things. It's not like, it's not the same thing. Um, and then we did have a few Texans chime in, because I knew this is where it would get heated, because I know Texans have very strong thoughts about beans and chili. So um, Eva said, native Texans, so Texas purists will say no beans, and I prefer my chili without beans. But that said, I will make and eat chili with beans. Claire chimed in with, I don't, I do not like beans. It's a texture thing. So Lisa, you're, you're, your buddy right there. Um, I proudly rely on my 4.5 years living in Texas to justify no beans and chili. <laughs> So she's uh okay, I might have to yeah. move to Texas now. <laughs> <laughs> um Rebecca said yes to beans, but I catch a lot of flack for it here in Houston. Also yes to Italian sausage, bacon and beer in my chili. And now I'm like, okay. Now that's like a next level. I can sound that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and then last the last one that I'll share is Amy said as a transplant to Texas, the no beans thing is something I do not get. Team beans here. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Guys, if you want to chime in on that chili discussion, or should I say maybe that chili debate, mm-hmm. um, we will link to the Facebook thread in the show notes, which you can find at passingtheplate.org slash zero five. That's a wrap on this episode of Passing the Plate. We hope you enjoyed our journey into the world of food, traditions, and the amazing connections they create. It's been a pleasure sharing these stories and flavors with you. Remember, food is more than just sustenance. It's a way to connect with our past, our present, and our future. So keep sharing your meals, keep passing those plates, and keep creating memories that will last a lifetime. Head to passingtheplate.org slash podcast for show notes.